wanted to um, welcome and thank Derek Leathers uh, to uh, for participating with us today. Um, we are thrilled uh, that you're doing so virtually with us here at uh, FreightWaves Live at home. Uh, thank you, Derek, for doing this. Uh, much appreciated. It's always great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And it's always a good time to spend chatting with you as well, George. Thank you. So Derek, for everyone, um, is the president and CEO of Winter Enterprises. Uh, I'm going to let Derek do a little bit of uh, description. I'm sure um, almost everyone that is participating and viewing uh, with us knows who and what Werner Enterprises is. I've been lucky enough uh, in our Waves talks and in our fireside chats to be able to talk to some of the most significant and impressive leaders that we have within the freight and transportation industry and certainly uh, Derek's leadership at, at Werner uh, certainly fills that bill. So I'm personally very excited about that. Uh, Derek, just in a couple of minutes to set the table for everybody, um, uh, your career, uh, both I know prior to at a, another company that uh, has long ties in the industry and, and your time at Werner Enterprises. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, so I've been in the industry just shy of 30 years. Um, started my career at Schneider National, a very high quality company out of Green Bay. Started as a fleet manager, actually, uh, in, their, in their terminology as service team leader, dispatching drivers. Failed a variety of jobs in uh, operations, safety, customer service. Uh, Mexico, spent and lived uh, years in Mexico running a Mexican truck line. Uh, and I've been at Warner now for over 20 years. So a uh, long time in the industry. Don't know if I'm esteemed or acclaimed, either one, but uh, happy to be here today. <laughs> well, let's give you both, and uh, we'll see We'll see how we view this after the next 25 minutes or so. Um, what we're going to try to do for everyone uh, in all of our Waves talks, obviously, we're going to be topical. I'm sure that Derek and I could do well more than 25 minutes simply on COVID-19, but um, so much of what FreightWaves Live and all of the um, interactions that we've had with uh, leaders has become really archival and has really become the, the kind of uh, things that people want to go back and look at. So we're going to try to do both topical right now and also some things that we can make a little bit evergreen for folks. So I'll just start out and uh, yeah, ask right off the top, how is business today with everything that's going on uh, around COVID-19 and the incredible impact that it's had on the market? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, business has obviously been um, uh, hectic would be one word, I guess. Um, you know, any good uh, high quality operator in, uh, you know, the transport space or logistics overall is only as good as the ability to manage their network and optimize their network uh, real time. And our network has been disrupted like everybody else's has. Uh, we're delivering a lot of freight. Volumes have actually held up pretty well. Uh, but the mix of those volumes have changed considerably. Uh, as consumer staples um, really have ramped up, with, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent increases in volumes, there's been an offsetting decrease in, you know, apparel and, and consumer durable goods and, and uh, you know, home furnishings and those types of things. So what it's meant is, a lot of disruption, trying to keep the fleet in balance, trying to keep the network flowing smoothly and efficiently. You know, you see kind of 
fits and starts with deadhead statistics at times that you've got to kind of work through. And through all of that, just trying to make sure that we keep all these goods moving, uh, keep America moving ultimately, but doing so while trying to ensure our driver's safety, our mechanic's safety, and all of the people here at the company. Uh, so it's been interesting. There's no playbook for it, but I think the industry is is stepped up and is doing some pretty incredible work. Could not agree more and really should have started with a thank you to you and to everyone at Warner Enterprises, particularly the, the drivers who are out there who are doing the amazing work to keeping the uh, the economy where it, where it is today. Um, let's speak a little bit about Werner and he, Werner Enterprises. How has Werner Enterprises, how has being a, a multimodal company allowed you to be more nimble in this very challenging time? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we take great pride in here, I talk to our folks about it all the time, is if you're going to be a quality player in today's market, you really have to be mode agnostic, meaning, you know, our mm-hmm. job is not so much to give intermodal pricing or give truck pricing. It's really to try to solve problems. And so as customers have issues they're trying to address, you know, we need to you know apply the right solution based on what the issues in front of us are. And so a crisis like this really challenges that because, uh, there are times where there's way more volume moving that maybe traditionally had moved over the road in a particular lane. Mm-hmm. We have to explore and utilize our non-asset partners, or maybe it's an intermodal play uh, to offset some of those volume spikes. And really having a portfolio, I think, just makes it a lot makes us a lot more nimble to be able to find the right solution for each issue. And uh, we always thought that to be true, but it takes a crisis like this to really prove it out and push you. To, to kind of um, you know, use all the tools in the toolbox versus those that maybe you've been most accustomed to. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about the, the, the toolbox a little bit. Where have you seen the, the freight shifting to and from? You've talked about the different industries, but um, have there been, have you seen transition from uh, intermodal to truck, truck to intermodal, or does it so does it matter geographically where that's occurring? What's the, what is the nimbleness uh, delivering to your customers? Yeah, I mean, so I think the first step or first wave of that nimbleness is just shown in capacity creation overall. So uh, you might exhaust all of the asset-based uh, solution that we have here within our walls. Um, that spills over into our non-asset ability to bring extra capacity to bear. And it might very well then, you know, um, also add, add additional intermodal volume in the lane. Um, but but on a, a more secular level, like outside of Warner, we've certainly seen a lot of freight that seemingly was moving intermodal before that now due to urgency and time transits and other things have found that it's way on trucks. Um, so we've seen some migration that way. I have not seen many examples of freight migrating from truck to intermodal during the crisis, unless it's a capacity play where you've just got too much volume going through the pipe on a particular lane. Um, brokerage is, you know, um, an asset, to, well, no, it's a non-asset application, but uh, obviously underlying third-party assets that we've been able to bring to bear in some cases that made a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned geography. I mean, I think that's the big issue is typical patterns. I mean, companies like Warner and others, we have 10 to 20 years of very, very good on when by lane, you know, peaks and valleys happen, when do we see and expect demand to increase? And right now, most of that's been thrown out the window because all that historical data didn't have um, in the background. And so now with, with this COVID pandemic going on, 
Um, you know, nothing we thought we knew is necessarily true. And you're seeing, you know, a large influx of volume in the markets that are most affected. And those are the very markets that have a lo the lowest amount of outbound. And so just a constant battle for, you know, network balance. Um, but one that I think we're getting through pretty well, and I'm pretty proud of the team's efforts. Have you seen, uh, and again, I don't want to be so just topical, but have you seen and had to react to geographies where your drivers were reluctant to serve and you've had to utilize the non-asset side to do some of that? Yeah, well, we've had some examples uh, where there would have been maybe additional concerns and I think appropriate concerns, but we got out in front of it early. So early, early in the process, yeah. we secured large scale quantities of hand sanitizer, wipes and other antiseptic um, options. We distributed them out to our facilities. Um, in some of the hot zone areas, the first masks that we were able to obtain well before any kind of you know guidance that they had to have them, we were trying to push masks out to drivers in any of the areas that were like hot zones. Um, we worked with our drivers, obviously, if they had concerns or certainly if they had pre-existing conditions of some type. Uh, we worked sure. and found other drivers willing and able and wanting uh, to take up that challenge so that they're brother or sister, you know, so to speak, didn't have to. Um, the response from the drivers has been incredible. I mean, I would tell you that, you know, when this all ends and the dust settles, um, you, you know, fleet availability or uptime, if you will, from drivers um, has been as high during the pandemic as we've seen in any historic period. And they get and deserve a ton of credit. But behind the scenes, you know, mechanics uh, doing the same thing. People across the supply chain are showing up because I think, those of us that have been doing this for 30 years, you know, we know and understand the importance of the supply chain work, but a lot of folks are new. They've only been doing it for a couple of years, never really worked through a crisis. And I think they have pride in their work and pride in what they do that maybe, you know, didn't have the opportunity to have before. Uh, so I've been, again, I'll say it again and again, but I've been proud of all of my colleagues around the industry because, you know, when, when, when America calls, we answered. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I hopefully will stick with people well beyond the pandemic. Wow, that's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna bridge a little bit, maybe stay on this, but talk about that supply chain and how Werner is evolving in, in your in your provisions. But um, as as you interact with your customers, with the shippers, how have they been? By and large, are you seeing them step up to treat uh, Werner driver, Werner, um, uh, and, and others in the way necessary to keep freight moving. Are they, um, doing that the right things? And also are they paying the, the fair rate at this point that they should be, um, in, in, in those areas where, you know, rates may be challenged? Yeah. So I think, you know, when you use the term by and large, I think, uh, it would be very fair to say that by and large, shippers have stepped up and they've done the right thing. So we've seen shippers providing, you know, PPE to, to drivers at certain yep. facilities, shippers out and distributing hand sanitizer, shippers making uh, grab and go meals available in certain cases or care packages for the drivers available. So the majority have done, you know, exactly that. Now we've also seen examples of shippers, um, you know, that have, have taken different paths. You maybe close down all the driver amenities and restrooms, things. And right. to be fair, I think they do it out of an abundance of caution. They're worried about um, any of their facilities being contaminated. But what we've tried to explain to those shippers, and most have listened and have changed 
uh, their strategy is the more you prevent drivers from utilizing facilities that are safe and cleaned by you, the shipper, the more likely you are to push them into less safe, less sanitary type options. And so we're encouraging shippers to, to lean into this, make as much uh, available to drivers as they can, increase the cleaning of those facilities, because frankly, it's in their best interest. It helps keep their mm -hmm. supply chain going, supply chain um, virus-free. Um, but if you shut it all down and push people out, they, they, you know, there are certain needs that are going to have to take place one way or the other. And I'd rather it be at a safe, clean, sterilized environment at a shipper's location than side of the road or, or rest stop or rest area that may or may not be maintained. And so all, all in all, they've been good. You know, we've seen the same thing on payment terms and rates. The majority of the shippers yeah. understand that. If you double the volume in a lane, we're going to need some help to get that many extra trucks in there. Um, that is not uh, premium pricing or anything. That's just pricing reflective of the fact that trucks have to come from farther. Um, payment terms are more critical now than uh, we've seen some shippers look to extend payment terms because of the virus. And obviously, that is very concerning to me. This is an industry that people pay their drivers on Friday and they pay their fuel when they pump it. And so they can't afford to wait 100 days to be paid. The large carriers would get through it. So this isn't so much yeah. a plea on Warner's behalf. It's a plea on the industry's behalf because the carnage it could take on capacity overall would be very bad for shippers long term. And I think their money would be better spent, um, you know, by by paying the carriers on time per the contract terms and not deviating it from that in a time of a crisis. I'm sure you went into 2020 with innovation and the continuation of the expansion uh, of the of the Werner model and the services that you could provide, and probably the largest curveball um, that could ever be thrown at us as far as a black swan event occurred. And I, but th this will end, and you'll be back to being uh, innovative. Um, how? How do you keep that innovation momentum going? And what are you looking at from an innovation standpoint, from a technology standpoint in the in in, in the in the new normal as we go forward? Right. Yeah. So innovation can't stop because of the virus, uh, whether it's over and past us in a matter of months or whether it lingers into next year. In either case, we have to keep innovating and building out for the future, especially on the tech side. Um, it's interesting, mm -hmm. but one thing we've done here is if you think about you know, your tech strategy, there's a certain portion of it that keeps the lights on. There's another portion of it that kind of lets you run and maybe enhance existing products in the business. And then that third leg of the stool is all your true innovation, your longer looking strategic thinking. Well, we're not going to be doing a lot of changes to any of the existing run rate type systems in the building when I've got, you know, hundreds of really approaching a thousand people working from outside the office. So, frankly, right. we've been able to shift resources toward more focus on some of the longer term innovation because some of the bells and whistles that you generally are always adding to, to core programming. I'm not implementing that stuff if you've got people spread all over you know, a thousand households versus having them in the building where you can train them. And, and, and we're certainly going to keep spending money on tech because, you know, we have our strategy we refer to as the five T's for a reason. I need tech to always have a seat at that table. You know, it's easy for companies like Warner or other
carriers or logistics companies to think about trucks and trailers and they need to invest in talent and terminals, but tech is right there with any of the above. And so we're still spending, we're still, we're still programming, we're still driving toward the future because this will end and Warner will be standing when it ends. And when, and when it ends, we'll be ready for, you know, to, to go back um, to growing our business and our relationships with our customers. Do you, do you see um, going and and spending that tech money, spending the, the one of the five T's, um, in any particular ways um, from a either an asset or a non-asset? You guys have done such a good job of maintaining that and having the nimbleness. Are you looking at investing in both of those or in any particular way in in any particular way in a larger fashion? Yeah, I mean, right now we're entering the phase where it's more of an all of the above strategy. Over the last couple of years. It's been laser focused on really our non-asset space, um, making sure that we're keeping up and or outpacing where the market's going from a digital brokerage, kind of frictionless brokerage perspective, right. working on of optimization and um, the ability to kind of interact more seamlessly with carriers of all sizes. Um, and now that we've gotten that product to where um, it's, you know, where we w- wanted it to be by this date, it all, it'll keep evolving and having to improve, but we got it to that first phase completion and, and, and implementation level where we're seeing the productivity gains. Now we're really kind of rolling into the phase where it's more about trying to unify the platforms, making sure, you know, that we've got a single point of light as it comes to customer records, a single, a single, yep. you know, set of data, um, doing a lot of bigger work that's going to take longer term lifting, um, but we have a we have a roadmap and and the progress has been good. So we're we're happy with where we're at um, in terms of on the roadmap, but but that map has a lot of distance left to cover. We're going to keep chipping away at it every day. So um, from the biz dev side, as you say, about that single point of light, um, do, are you having to think about how in business development and sales that offering morphs? Do you? Do you consciously have a Werner representative going to Northwest Arkansas or to Cincinnati to large shippers like that? And are they evolving and having to evolve to be able to speak all of the the um, continued evolution that you've had over the last few years from a technology standpoint? Yeah, they're definitely being pushed to evolve. There's no doubt. Um, you know, the philosophy I've always had is I want you know, every ship needs a captain, every customer needs a a sponsor, if you will. And so we want to have one individual ultimately that's accountable for the relationship with that customer that has enough breadth of knowledge, enough expertise to speak to the whole portfolio, that's able to articulate the value proposition of each of the different components um, that we think we can unlock for a customer. Uh, but then also the ability to kind of you know, call in the reliever when that's what's needed. So we have experts in every product line, uh, but we have generalists, if you will, that are expected to always maintain the single point of contact with that customer and that relationship. I, I just find it, you know, um, you know, increasingly difficult to, if, if, if we're talking about a world of frictionless brokerage or, or digital brokerage or digital interactions in general with customers to have five different people walking into the same customer pitching Warner five different ways. Um, that's not helpful, I don't think. That's not the, the the brand image that I want out in the marketplace. Uh, I want somebody to own that relationship and then bring in the expertise when it's needed, um, for as long as it's needed, and then, of, of course, when it's no longer needed, 
just carry that relationship forward for continuity's sake. That's really interesting. So how do you uh, leverage your current impressive customer base as you launch new offerings? You you may have, and I'm sure, and I've been, you know, been lucky enough to work in, in many different roles with, um, with Werner over the years. You've got some decades-long relationships with customers that may be very comfortable in the way that they do business, but you... You've used words frictionless, and you may see a better way of doing this. How do you how do you decide, and how do you leverage your current customer base as you launch these new innovations and these new offerings? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to it. To be perfectly frank, um, you know, a lot of times if we're launching a new product, if we're truly launching it from the ground up, and we're building it organically. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed you had a, a tower of baseballs behind you, so I'll use a baseball analogy. You know, when that product is at its infancy stage, we're going to want to make sure we field test it kind of at single A ball level. So we're going to work with yeah. customers that we know it can have you to right now, um, but we're not going to introduce it into the bloodstream of one of our core, you know, decades long customer relationships until we've made sure that, that that product's ready for prime time. And that product works its way up from single A to double A to triple A. And eventually what we want to do is if we're going to have a product, the expectation I've always said is it has to be relevant in the marketplace for us to maintain and keep it. Um, so what does that mean? It's got to be able to compete head to head whoever with whoever um, or whatever company is best in class in that space. So we don't benchmark across just a group of five customers I mean, I'm sorry, five five competitors. What we do instead is try right. to understand who the are in intermodal, in brokerage, in in uh, one-way trucking, you know, in dedicated, and then make sure as we build products out that they're meant to compete and exceed the expectations of our customers against a best-in-class benchmark. Uh, it takes a while to get there. I mean, it's not easy. It's not done overnight. Um, but we want to. We're not going to risk a decades-old relationship. Um, until we feel like the value that we bring in that product is ready for their network. Got it. So as you lead this aircraft carrier of a, a, a of a company and are and are bringing on new solutions, um, <laughs> again, come back to COVID. Here comes COVID that 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 you you know you can't see or or expect. Um, when when do you think we'll have the new normal? I mean, we always talk about how um, transportation has its ear to the ground. We see things that your data will tell you things before others uh, may know about it. Are you seeing anything in the data today that gives you an inkling that something's changed or turned or, or are you... Are you still waiting for that sign that will will tell you that two months or six months down the road is is when we expect the new normal to be in place? Yeah, I think we still have some tough times ahead of us. I mean, I don't want to be a pessimist on this, but the reality is, you know, some data that I like to look at a lot is, you know, diesel gallons and and consumed and things of that nature because you know, you can talk a lot in, 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 in this business about how many miles a fleet may or may not have ran last week. Uh, they haven't had to file yet. There's no verifiable data along those lines. Um, people can talk about what their pre-book percentages are, their load rejection rates are, but yeah. that only captures part of 
but diesel doesn't lie. I mean, you know, if diesel's not flowing, if diesel's not being consumed, then you know that U.S. freight volumes are slowing. And so right now we're seeing declining volumes in diesel, you know, in the first few weeks of April. Uh, that decline has increased, not decreased. I think that's a reflection of the first several waves of relief supplies have been delivered. The other stuff yeah. that's not shipping, it's still not shipping, but the relief volumes are starting to slow. And so in my best estimate, you know, we're a few months away from really seeing a turn in, in volumes. Uh, with that said, though, uh, I think when it turns and you get people out of the house, I mean, they've been on the sideline a long time. And when they get back out there and able to participate in the economy, I think you'll see people, you know, back at it and participating. There'll be a lot of folks that are unemployed, but the government has stepped in, um, you know, regardless of timing, meaning I think, you know, there's a lot of frustration about, you know, how fast those checks were able to be cashed or even received. Right. It is coming. And those numbers are real and those dollars are real. And as those hit the accounts, sure, a large percentage will be on basic needs, but there's going to be in money infused into this economy. So, um, you know, my best guess for what it's worth is I think we'll see a slow May um, starting with, with a slow rebound starting in June and things really start to pick up, you know, in kind of that July through back half of the year. Will we get back to where we were before COVID in, in six months? I think it's too early to tell. It's too early to yeah. to, to guess. Given we don't know if there's a second wave. We don't know how much worse unemployment gets before it finds bottom. Um, so, you know, we're going to we're going to hunker down. We're going to still spend where we think spending makes sense and investing in our future like tech, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, but I think yeah. we've got to be ready to ride this out. So speaking of tech, and I'll try to land the plane here for us um, in, in that tech investment, any any specific um, specifics that are going to be? And we talked about how we, we, we like to have this uh, um, this information be evergreen as we look back to 2020 and if the you know if the bottom has started now or if we're still a month away um, in 2020 what will you and your team members look back and say from a technology standpoint that's when we took this leap that's when we had this occur and it'll be a, a stepping stone for in the future where 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 are you investing that tech money today well, we have a few large-scale projects this year, one of which is a fleet-wide telematics uh, changeover, uh, which will give us the power in the palm, if you will, of our driver's hands to do some things with tech that we, you know, have not been able to do up until now. So, um, you know, the ability to greatly enhance the driver experience, um, kind of get out of the world of, of uh, macros and programmatic approaches to how they have to fill out their day or toward workflow and, and, and um, you know, intuition and intuitive kind of application of tech, um, that is going to be a big deal in our fleet. It's not as sexy maybe as some of the things that gets talked about out there, but it's it's critically important. Yeah. Um, and our drivers are excited and we've got hundreds of them on the tech today and we're continuing to to roll that out. Um, in the office, we're, we're doing a major, you know, uh, you know next uh, level upgrade to all of the brokerage platform that I talked about earlier. Uh, we're really to yeah. the point now where we can do buy it now pricing. We can do automated ingestion of loads and automated uh, brokerage of loads, and we'll be rolling more of that out throughout the year uh, to create to create a a lower cost uh, model uh, for our brokerage capabilities. I think that's going to be a highlight. 
uh, from early returns that we've seen so far. A lot of innovative stuff going on relative to um, geofencing and 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 just uh, the ability to give drivers the information they need and only what they need based on the geography they're in at the time and getting away from a world of mass weather updates and or mass congestion updates or road closure updates and instead extremely targeted uh, based on where they're at and where they're heading and their their time of transit. Uh, so there's some pretty exciting things that I think uh, not there's no one silver bullet. It's a lot of little layers yeah. that we're putting on and that I think will continue to help us um, you know, distance ourselves from from some others out there. Well, Derek, I, I see that the clock is telling me that uh, I'm not surprisingly take, taking too much of, uh, of your time and the people who are viewing. Thank you for your leadership during the time uh, during COVID. Thank you to all the employees uh, at Werner Enterprises, particularly to the drivers who are out there at the forefront. Uh, we really genuinely appreciate that. If there's anything that um, that uh, Freightways can do to support that, not just now during uh, Freightways Live at Home, but anything downstream that you can you can look to us to help you support support your drivers. We understand that that's how this economy rolls, and want to thank you very much. Thank you for your leadership, and thank you for doing this. Have a uh, have a uh, a great rest of uh, of the second quarter. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, and uh, look forward to seeing you live someday soon.